First things first, Alabama State Bar Rules of Professional Conduct. 7.2e requires the following language in all attorney communications. No representation is made that the quality of legal services to be performed is greater than the quality of legal services performed by other lawyers. My name's Harry Still, Backwood Southern Lawyer. I got my friend Paul Rip here with us today. And we also have our first guest via telephone, um, Mr. Greg Kennedy. How are you doing today, Greg? I'm good. How are you guys? We're great. Um, so, Greg, I just want to run through your background real quick. Um, you are a currently a member of the Gulf Shores Utility Board. Is that correct? I am. And you were a – what years were you on the Gulf Shores City Council? Uh, from 2000 to 2004. And then you were also the head volunteer for the Shrimp Festival for several years. What what years were those? Well, from 98 to 2002, I was a chairman of the Shrimp Festival, which made me a on the board of the Chamber of Commerce. And I held various positions on, as a board member at the Chamber um, for probably, gosh, 15 years. 15 years or so, and I, I was the chairman of that board in 2020. I'm sorry, 2010. 2010. So, um, and, and are are you still a member of the Gumbo Group? No, I'm, I have been asked by the city of Orange Beach to be, um, to be uh, their representative on the board of Gumbo. I'm not a, a Gumbo member uh today uh, i will be you know when i uh, take up this board position so the reason i'm asking is um there's a there there have been several articles written about it but there's one in this in this uh, version of uh, the current version of the lanyap that says that the gumbo group is going to have um they're going to host our legislators down at the lodge at Gulf State Park, October sixteenth, seventeenth, and eighteenth. Are you going to participate in that? I'm going to try. I've been invited by another stakeholder um, to the breakfast for Thursday morning. Um, I'm going to uh, I'm going to try to make that. Uh, and I and my, what I've gathered about it is, you know, they've got they're going to bring a lot of legislators down here, and they're going to. You know, uh, show them around, show them the new state park uh, convention center and hotel. Um, you know, talk about tourism, just that type thing. Um, so, one of the one of the reasons I wanted you to come on is because um, you you and I actually had to uh, work together on this shrimp festival uh, business back in the day, and uh, and and back in the day, uh, David Bodenhammer was the mayor in Gulf Shores. And uh, do you remember the the David Bodenhammer rule of entertainment? Uh, he he had a, it was it was an unwritten rule, Paul, where if he knew who the band was, they weren't playing at the Shrimp Festival. Okay, <laughs> he didn't he didn't want traffic jams. He didn't want all that. It was a family atmosphere. Of course, it was very commercialized, mm-hmm. but he didn't want Burning Man at the hangout. And 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 it's my position that that's what this hangout fest has turned into. And Greg, I just wanted, you know, a local's opinion on 
uh, on what's going on down there every May with this hangout fest business, the, 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 the kind of people that it attracts and the services and the inconvenience it causes for the, for the residents. Well, um, well, let me back up. You know, when I was a chairman of the Trent festival, um, and let me just say, David Bodenhammer is a very close friend of mine and a man that, I truly count as a as a real friend and a, and one of the most uh, respectable men that, that I know. He made a very um, wise decision of giving me my first job out of college too. Let's not forget that. <laughs> well, there you go. Um, uh, Bodie is um, is a guy who will always tell you the truth. He'll look you dead in the eye and tell you the truth. That might not be what you want to hear, but you're going to get the straight skinny from him and you can always count on the truth from David Bodenhammer. Now, when I was a chairman of the Trim Festival, he, he, the city, um, they didn't interfere with what we did as long as what we did was consistent with the law. And, you know, a lot of the ramifications of putting that event on was, you know, blocking off the, the streets, you know, and, and we did that. And then when the event was over, there was a big push to get the streets back open. Um, the city of Gulf Shores was paramount in, in putting that event on, and um, and they were always willing to help. Uh, back then, Chuck Hamilton was the um, he was the public works director, and he was a a, a tremendous help. Uh, I, I can't speak to to the to the to how it goes now. I mean, I'm not involved anymore, but uh, I would think it's probably challenging with the with the new um, you know, remodeling and, and everything that they've done done down there. But what I will tell you is the Shrimp Festival was a family atmosphere. We did serve beer, and it sort of went from a uh, fine arts and arts and crafts and food event during the daytime to music at night uh, where we sold beer and there's no question. Sometimes we would have some festival goers that got overserved, overserved by with beer. With beer, um, which I, the Hangout Music Festival is a wholly different animal. Um, you know, we've done the last couple of years. We have done. Um, we've been doing these little beach subdivisions um, down there in in the general area of where the hangout is held. And I can tell you um, that there is open drug use, public drug use, public urination, public defecation, um, uh, trespass, property damage. I have, it's beyond me how the current city government uh, allows that event to be perpetrated on the people who live and do business in the city of Gulf Shores. It's, it's beyond, it's beyond me. Yeah. Death as well. Well, yeah, there was, there was a, there was a, a young man that died uh, this year down there. Um, so Greg, just so this, the information that I have is that there were 113 arrests in 2019. In 2017, it topped out at around 200 arrests. I mean, does, would that surprise you? 
Well, what would surprise me is is that if they arrested everybody who was breaking the law, I would I would there they certainly wouldn't have anywhere to put them. Right. Um, it's it's and I and I know several policemen who have you know been down there during that, and they just you know they just walk right by. You know, people are using drugs, smoking pot smoking other stuff and they just turned a blind eye to it and and on the flip side of that if you're sitting at your house on the beach during spring break you can't drink a beer in front of your own beach house in gulf shores is that your understanding (laughs) of the current law that that is that is the elephant in the room that hardly anybody wants to talk about you know, the city of Gulf Shores pounds their chest and says, we are going to, you know, we're going to put our moral fiber on display for spring break. So nobody can drink a beer on the beach during spring break. But then they allow this, you know, at the public beach, they, they block off the public beach for one guy and, and, you know, to make a lot of money. Now, what I will say there are other businesses, a handful of other businesses that make a lot of money for the for the uh, hangout fest. But I mean, it's 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 so incredibly ironic that you can't even if you own a a piece of property on the beach, you can't walk out in your backyard and drink a beer. But they allow that. that is so diametrically opposed to each other. It's, it's, um, it's astounding money, money, money. Well, and so Greg, you always had to come to the council and apply for a public assembly permit. Do you remember doing that? Well, we did, but we did that every year. And and, and that was part of the process. Do you think they're doing that for, are, are they giving the public an opportunity to speak to, um, whether or not they want burning man at the beach is what I'm calling it. Well, well, I, I, I don't know if they do that. Uh, I know that there, there were some people that showed up this past year to complain about it. And they were basically shut down, uh, is my understanding. I didn't go to the meeting, but, um, I just think that this present city government, um, I, I just, I just think they're they're going to have this event, you know, as long as they're making the money. And um, I don't think there's any, I don't think it's 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 a secret that Gulf Shores, I think, is reaching for every penny they can possibly make. I mean, I just had to pay three hundred dollars for a site plan extension that would take the planning commission about a minute and a half to vote on. And do you think that's because of this new school system that they've created? Well, I, I think that's a very reasonable assumption. Um, what, you know, if you remember what the city did, um, they announced a, a lodgings tax increase and the lodgings tax increase was, for infrastructure upgrades because of tourism. Well, just after that, they said, oh, you know, and by the way, we're going to have a, a city school system. 
So then everybody was, well, okay, well, we understand now about the largest tax increase. No, no, that's to, uh, you know, we're going to fund the school system out of the general fund and the law and the infrastructure upgrades out of the largest tax. Like nobody could figure out that if you didn't have a school system, you wouldn't be having to increase lodging tax. So, but, um, I, I don't know exactly the funding mechanism right now. I do know that there have been votes in the past. I was involved when we tried to have an island wide school system and that tax increase failed two to one. Um, Orange Beach had a had another vote um, not too long ago, and that vote failed two to one. Um, the people in Gulf Shores, the, the residents in Gulf Shores, I don't think will vote themselves a tax increase, and, and primarily it's because of the, uh, the demographic. You know, there are a lot of retirees that live in Gulf Shores, and their grandchildren or being educated in Illinois or Wisconsin or wherever it is they moved here from. Um, it's a, it's a largely transient population and not many people, um, who live in Gulf Shores are from Gulf Shores. And, and then as you say, okay, how many have lived here for 10 years or how many have lived here for 20 years? You know, they're, they're all from somewhere else. So, um, Unlike school systems that are very successful, city school systems, that is, that are very successful, like Sarah Land. You take a community like Sarah Land, um, the, the whole extended family lives there. Right. You know, the students' grandparents live there, and sometimes great-grandparents live there. That's why, you know, blue-collar communities like Sarah Land, Satsuma, how they can have a successful um, citywide school system because their demographic supports it. Gulf Shores demographic, I don't think will support it, and that they'll they'll end up, you know, probably raising sales tax or lodgings tax or a combination of both. So I, I wanted to while I have you on the on the phone with us, um, I know you were on the council for many years, and you're you're still serving in a public capacity where you're required to pass a budget. Is it, I'm assuming Gulf Shores Utilities has a budget. Yes, and, yes, we do. And do y'all have a? Do, uh, do you have a? Is your fiscal year September to October? Or do it, it is okay. So it is. so just like the city, um, municipalities in the state of Alabama, most of them choose for their fiscal year to end uh, or begin October first. Um, and so here, so t- so today's topic is a. Uh, ready fire aim and in that i'm talking about the budget process that's going on right now in Fairhope. okay greg um i'm relying on some information that i got from the pub the american society for public administration and they say within a local government the budget document is the most important policy document that the city can create it is the document that can help citizens understand the factors that affect the programs and services provided to the public. If they uh, adhere to the definition of policy as everything a government does or does not do, the government's fiscal year spending plan should reflect everything the government jurisdiction will do in the following year. Do you agree with all that so far, Greg? 
Well, I, I, I agree. I agree. So right now, and and I want Paul to chime in on this too, the city of Fairhope voted prior to – now, their fiscal year started October 1st as well. They still don't have a budget in place. Correct. But three weeks ago – Correct. They voted to spend $2.3 million on some property. 2.6. I'm sorry. 2.6 on some property at the intersection of 32 and 13 um, south of town down by their airport. And they have not, no, in no document whatsoever, have they said how they're going to pay for it, if they're going to borrow the money, if they're going to raise taxes. Just nobody has any idea. And I think it's a really poor way to con- conduct business, especially with the public's money. What do you think, Greg? Well, well, let me just fundamentally a budget, you know, it's a guide as the way I've always viewed it. You set a budget, you try to stick to it, but you know, there could be some, some, some information that comes out or some land acquisition opportunities that arise during the budget year that you, you haven't budgeted for. I'm not sure, you know, why they felt like they needed to buy that property, but most municipalities, and I would think, you know, Fairhope being one, they probably have a, a, a well-established tax base. And if they wanted to spend some money, they could easily go, and um and and do a bond issue and and get that money depending on their debt ratio and such as that but right but um but you you and i both know you gotta have you gotta have uh, uh to borrow money you, it's an ordinance so you got to at least have two public hearings um then you've got to approve uh well, you get, i i think it takes uh, as quickly as i think a municipality could borrow money through a general obligation warrant would be three or four months to have the money in pocket so they could spend it. Well, that's very true. But there are some municipalities who have a, a lot of money stuck back in like a restricted fund, you know, like us at the utilities board, you know, we have restricted funds that, you know, we're trying to get to a number, uh, in the event we have a, you know, a total, total disastrous hurricane and we're down for a year. We're trying to get to that number in restricted money. Uh, if Fairhope has that, then they could use that money and then, you know, get float a bond as they can. But if they have, they already purchased the land or is it just under contract? Uh, it's under contract at, uh, right now, but they uh, just passed a resolution uh, on Wednesday night uh, for, to finance the insurance and the closing cost, and they're moving extremely fast to purchase this property There's, without without having telling without having disclosed how they intend to pay for not, it. Not not only not only have they not here's my pet peeve, not only have they said that how they are going to pay for it, but they have not had one single meeting of public participation dedicated to this issue. They've discussed it in work sessions within their rec board. Uh, they've had uh, the only people that have spoke for it have been the, the three council members that voted for it and the rec board. Uh, there were <clears throat> the voicing of the rest of the community, which came when they very first uh, 
came up with the proposal for the appraisal, they had a lot of people show up that were favoring another piece of property. But uh, they disregarded every bit of that, didn't listen to anyone, said that it was for the appraisal only, and then a couple of weeks ago it comes up and they pass it. Boom. No public participation. They force it through. And, uh, and, and they did that in the very middle of the budget process. So the budget process had already been set up. The mayor, staff, and all were all prepared. So now they're in the middle of this thing. And they have, this is the fourth year in a row that the council has not been able to get the budget done on time. And so we're all waiting for the other shoe to f- fall now and for them to tell us how they're going to come up with $2.6 million. And they might, they might have, they may be able to go get a line of credit for that, Greg. I don't know. I mean, you know, that's that's not a tremendous amount of money for somewhere like Fairhope, but but it's well, still it's, a sounds, whole lot of money. Like, it's a lot of money, and it's a lot of public money. But it sounds to me like they want that piece of property really bad. No, that's it. That's it. And the three council people involved, uh, 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 the 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 appraisal that they used was very questionable. They had two items on their appraisal. One was a pending sale, and the other one was a listing sale, which... I've never heard of anybody using a listing I, in an appraisal. Have you, Greg? You've been bought, you bought a lot of property in your life, man. You ever, they, uh, they let you rely on that? No. The, the value of how, how an appraiser determines the value is based on sale. Correct. Um, and and in some um, you know some cases they may cite um, you know what properties are for sale for, but I can assure you when you go to a um, you, you go get a home mortgage, um, they want to know an uh, an appraisal based on sales, not not speculative listing. Right, and they are they yeah. are basing the council, the three council members, Boone, Brown, and Burrell, all three based the sale and pushed the sale of this piece of property on the appraisal, based it on the appraisal and used the appraisal as the justification for the purchase. So I, yeah. I, I, I agree with you 100%. I've, I've bought and sold a lot of property myself, and uh, if I had known that I could go and use a listing to boost the value of my property, I might have done that. So, Greg, we appreciate you being on. I want you to put. I want to know what the name of your business is, where it is, what uh, if you have a website, well, how we can get in touch with you, and all that. Well, we're we're Greg Kennedy Incorporated, a general contractor. Uh, our office is in Orange Beach. Our business is primarily uh, on the island. We work. Mostly Gulf Shores, Orange Beach, sometimes Fort Morgan area. Um, I've been there a long time, and I, we're we're busy and we're we're blessed. We we thank God that uh, the economy's good and um, and things are going well. Well, we're gonna let you go. I I had hoped our first guest would be Governor Ivy, but you'll do, Greg. <laughs> you'll do. Well. We certainly appreciate you participating. All right, no problem. Y'all Thanks, have man. a good day. You too. Bye-bye. Okay. So you want to go back to this, then? Yeah, go for it. Okay. Uh, uh, Paul Rip, we have the Rip Report. That's a consumer organization. 
We really stress that that's a consumer organization. We want you to realize that we work all over Baldwin County, be it political, court case, any complaints you might have. We've had several people uh, call us in the last week or two after listening to our podcast, some complaining about uh, court cases in district court, some complaining about things that are going on in uh, different communities. And we welcome your comments. If you have something you can add to it, please uh, be sure and let us know. Uh, the one thing I would like to mention is, since we hit on it there and we were talking about that piece of property, uh, they pushed forward at the city council, like I said, to come up with $9,000 to uh, do the closing costs and title insurance on this recreational piece of land. Again, no one has weighed in on it. Uh, I'd like to give Corey Martin... Uh, shout out from uh, the Twin Beach area. He's been arguing that the rec property should be uh, more looked at in the Twin Beach area where the community has all said that they want anything, that that's where they want it. Mr. Martin has been in front of him two or three times the other night. On Wednesday night, he talked to him again. Absolutely no comment from the uh, council. Uh these gentlemen are fixated on doing what they want to do, be it this piece of property or whatnot, and they're not going to listen to anyone. Now, what they're going to have to do to purchase this piece of property is that uh, probably they're going to end up depleting cash reserves, and they're going to be depleting cash reserves for capital projects. So I do not know what justification the council thinks that they have for it, but it's a very, very, very suspicious uh, purchase. I don't think it is necessary. It's not walkable. Uh, we've had several reports about uh, one or two planes that made an emergency landing on that piece of property, as well as it's so close to the end of the runway, I, I wonder about the uh, lights. The the lights for the, uh, you put, got 114 acres there, I believe. That's an awful lot of light at the very end of a uh, runway. Now, this council Paul, is, quit being practical. Yeah. We're talking about buying some land, man. <laughs> right. Come on now. Right. And this council, this council, by the way, which I call a catalyst council, they all have connections to catalysts. They're, they're uh, uh, the thing that they recited the most over and over again was infrastructure and transparency. Well, they're not putting the money in infrastructure. They're putting it into a recreational field that is dirt. They're not going to end up doing a thing with it for years. And they have infrastructure falling down around their ears. And as far as being transparent, they have been anything but transparent. Uh, other things that are going on that uh, a couple articles, again, in the Lanyap. One is uh, by John Mullen called Planned, Underway, or Completed. It's about Orange Beach. And it was where Mayor Kenham was given a report on uh, different in infrastructure projects. And one of them was the Wolf Bay Lodge. Uh, uh, Mr. John McCabb stepped up to the mic and complained about it. And he was called down somewhat by the mayor. And then Councilman Jeff Boy Boyd bristled even more when McCabe uh, said the entire project's goal, that is the Wolf Bay Bridge, uh, was solely for development, that it wasn't to reduce traffic or hurricane evacuation. Well, here's where we get into the semantics of so, it. So you're talking about the bridge is going to go from Dock Seafood over towards Barber's Marina. Co correct. Okay. The Wolf Bay one. And, you know, they say the 
council and the mayor is trying to tell us that it's to reduce traffic and hurricane evacuation and not solely for development. Well, the hurricane evacuation is a given, okay? But if you think it's going to reduce traffic, you're going to build another bridge, another access point, and you think it's going to reduce traffic, you've got your head in the sand on the beach. So let's let's take the island that's laying this way and turn it this way so that it looks like Manhattan. Right. And that's what you got. Exactly. The more bridges you put over there, it's not going to change the traffic that's on the island. Correct. And and I will admit it's not solely for development, but I can assure you it is for development. Give me a break. Now, come well, on. Well, and I think it's it's going to open up development certainly in the josephine area on fish trap road 42 west heading down towards barbers marina no doubt about it before they get the bridge finished it will be developed it will, the development will begin other article and this relates to what we had uh, talked about before uh the sheriff's department uh is the the article is use of force and this one's by jason johnson again in the baldwin Lanyap and Baldwin Lanyap is the one that you uh, definitely want to pick up for any type of investigative reporting. And this is an article about Jonathan Victor, who was shot on May 12th following a single car accident on Interstate 10. It was later determined that Mr. Victor did not have any weapon at all, and what they thought was a weapon was a fanny pack. And now his mother and I may pronounce her last name wrong, but it's Donna uh, Chessy, I believe, C-H-I-S-E-S-I. She's now hired Mr. J. Samuel, Samuel Tenenbaum, the director of the Complex Civil Litigation and Investor Protection Center at Northwestern University in Chicago. It's also worth noting that Lanyap also has a lawsuit against the Sheriff's Department seeking... Uh, the release of several records, again, to that very same case. Uh, so that's going to be worth watching, and uh, I encourage you to read the whole article. Of course, I'm paraphrasing from the article and everything. Again, if you have any such complaints yourself or anything you need that you think we need to know of in relation to that, please uh, let us know. A couple things that I wanted to touch on. Um our current county administrator, his former position was city planner for Fairhope. Is uh, that right? Correct. Wayne Dice. Correct. Correct. Um, and instead of promoting him up to a city administrator position or something like that, right? They let him get away. They they have stood the council again. Boone, Brown, and Burrell, they have stood in the way of getting a city But, I mean, that, city that's like having Seabiscuit pulling a plow in a field. That's absolutely <laughs> correct. And and I can tell you we lost a very, very valuable employee when we lost him. Well, but, I'm glad he's up here with the county commission. Uh, I know you certainly. are. I'm, I'm very sorry that we lost him. Uh, he was uh, quite an asset, but uh, and I'm sure I'm not putting – words in Wayne's mouth, but I can certainly see why he would leave. <laughs> uh, the other thing I want to talk about is the fact that the Bowen County High School Tigers are headed down to Fairhope to hopefully kick Hale out of the Toros tonight. I'll be down there watching that. Um, <laughs> and so then I wanted to do, I just want to tell you a little bit about this. Uh, I, I, after our last broadcast, I don't think I did a very good job of explaining my position on the legalities of the Public Service Commission beginning to uh, regulate the pri the private sewer. Um, and so what I did was I wrote an email to 
uh, uh, Richard Dayton, the, the gentleman who was on our first podcast. Correct. And um, and I'll just read this real quick. It says, now to my point, if you read Act 2009-773 along with the Constitutional Amendment 781, it is clear to me that the Public Service Commission is required to regulate private sewers unless the legislature or county under county uh, under Constitutional Amendment 781 chooses to enact another form of regulation in that area. In other words, just imagine this. We have a general law that says, here's who will be regulated by the Public Service Commission. And then at the end it says, unless you have a constitutional amendment that says you'll be regulated in some other fashion, right? It doesn't just say if you have a a constitutional amendment, you're off the hook, you won't be regulated. Um, So, and, And that goes to my point also. If the legislature, if the legislature or county commission chooses not to regulate Baldwin County sewer service under CA seven eighty one, then the PSC must regulate in those areas where the, where they choose not to. Financial viability, rate regulation, compulsory connection, all of these things. Um, I believe it was the legislative intent of the Alabama legislature that all private sewers be regulated in in one way or another by someone, either by the public service commission. Or by what other whatever means, um, the people and the legislature decide um, through a constitutional amendment. Now, on the other hand, if it's the position of our legislative delegation that they pass this constitutional amendment purely as protection for Bowen County Sewer Service to avoid any kind of regulation, well, then I think the people need to know that too. Don't right. you agree with that? Absolutely, and it also should be noted that we are the only county that is not regulated, uh, and that should be some concern for people, particularly in the fastest-growing county. Uh, and everyone knows we have all types of sewer issues from one thing to another. So this is an issue I hope that we're going to continue to push it, the uh, Backstory podcast. But uh, – uh, and we hope that citizens that are listening will talk to your legislators and push them as well. This needs to be resolved. Now, um, I want to talk about apartments going in in Fairhope. Right. And I, I know this is kind of your bailiwick, but I want to say from the get-go, Haim Snedeker is a colleague of mine. Right. I practice law in Fairhope Municipal Court all the time, and he has absolutely every right to be in the development business to build whatever he wants to on property that he owns or or has an option on, okay? Correct. So, all that said, let, let's just do let's let's do a count on the on the number of apartments or multifamily units that are approved right now yet to to have been built in Fairhope. Okay. Well, let me say first. Last week we covered the fact that the mayor of Daphne sold a piece of property that Bayside School was going to tear down for a parking lot. It's not illegal, but it's sure unethical, and you sure don't want to see the mayor being the example of the person that's responsible for taking down a house like that. I totally agree that Mr. Snedeker is absolutely has every right to develop whatever he wants to do. But I must say, being a municipal judge of the city this corridor of chaos that he is going to develop is going to be a nightmare 
And it is going to change the footprint and the complexion of Fairhope more so than any development that we've had so far. All right. So, you know, I'm, I'm a visual person. Correct. So, uh, and I think you linked this on our website, on our Facebook page already. So anybody that wants to go look at a map, go over to our Facebook page. And I think the, the name of the uh, article on the Fairhope Times was city judges project up for final approval. Correct. And that is Fairhope Times article. That's another uh, blog site. I recommend them. They put out a lot of good news as well. So uh, we're t- so we're talking about the intersection of 181 and Fairhope Avenue. Correct. That's which Caddy if, Corner if from were, If you were heading Walmart. south on 181, Walmart would be south of you and to your left if you were stopped at that if that red light. That's correct. The project we're talking about would be the pro- property that's on your right if you were sitting there facing south. Now currently there's a uh, U storage building on it, and the back part of it is a private airstrip, isn't it, Paul? Correct. With a looks like a hangar with some uh, storage. Not not that much on there uh, right now, but uh, that's certainly going to change. And and that was the Clump family. Uh, that's property. right, K L U M P. Right. Uh, but here's a here's the totality of the problem now again i'd like to say that this piece of property is right outside the uh fairhope city limits however it's contingent upon approval that they'll come back into the city limits and if we were to if the city was to you know sort of deny it and everything they probably still go with ahead of the project and we would get no impact fees and we would get no taxes so it makes sense that we have to let them and into your the cops city. would still have to respond correct to correct. any incidents however this project what i call the corridor of chaos cannot pay enough impact fees for what it is actually going to impact. You're going to have approximately 340, I think it was, apartments, 77 houses, and 16 commercial lots. In addition to that... Hey, let me, okay. let me, let me correct you. It's 77 single-family lots, right. and that's on the airstrip the, property back. Uh, right not against on the, the back, correct. So right against the road, you're going to have 16 parcels that are zone B2, which is general business. Correct. Behind that, in some type of a configuration around a traffic circle, you're going to have the multifamily, and we don't – I haven't seen an elevation of it. I don't know if it's Flat. one story, two stories. Oh, the, the units, Yeah, the, yes. the units. I, don't, I have no idea what they look like because I haven't seen an elevation. Um, and then uh, there's 232 multifamily units. 232. And that and, – and that, Conditional rezoning would be, or I think the best way to say it is, it's a conditional annexation. They agreed to be annexed so long as the city gives them these three different zoning designations upon annexation. So that would be uh, 232 multifamily units of R5, and then uh, along right up front along the roadway of 181, you'd have 16 commercial lots, zone B2. So just clarification. Correct, correct. Then you would have the uh, uh, Battle Place Apartments. I think that was 70-something units. And then on top of that, you've got Fly Creek Apartments, which is, uh, I think that's like 240 plus 77 more units plus 45 condos going in on the same street. Three projects. 
and you have over 625 units going in. Now, if you think two apartment complexes or three apartment complexes, just imagine what that's going to do to your schools because you can be sure you're going to see a real boost in schools. It's going to be a problem. You're probably going to need another three mil attacks plus some. And what about the sewer? But the and the it, bad thing is the property tax, the, the educational avalorum tax won't be collected for two more years. So they've, the school board has to react, <laughs> add more teachers, add more space, do whatever they need to do, and they're not going to get that money for until the year after. The school can start building right now, full time, and never stop. Well, for that's the what next we've been doing years. since 1979. Right. Around right. here, we've it's been just, building schools. There's more. You know, they've said, "Well, we'll build this, and there won't be any more uh, trailers or anything out there, and nothing else was reduced." How many now, are there at Robertsdale High School? I'm not. I'm not. They sh- had to start putting them out front. When you drive by, the 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 uh, portables are actually out front. There's no other room to put them. That, the, the, the biggest, you know, when you look at this and you think, okay, you're doing all of this is happening in Fairhope, and then you have a council running rogue buying $2.6 million worth of property, and you're thinking, wait a minute, how are you going to stay up with all of this infrastructure? You're, you're letting the infrastructure go down at the same time. We need recreation property, but it comes down to public participation the public has not been able to weigh in on this. That's my main complaint. And the the council, Boone, Brown, and Burrell, have taken advantage of their positions to push this site. So there should be some pushback from citizens. If it's not, it's going to be you're going to pay $2.6 million for some land that is just going to sit there for years. And most likely the next council, when these guys won't be there, I hope, <laughs> then they'll have to deal with that. All right. So you ready to get to another topic, Paul? Uh, I'm sure it's related. <laughs> well, it ain't it ain't unrelated. Uh, I want to talk about the history of corruption. The silent tax. The silent tax. So last night here in Baymanette, we had uh a celebration of removal day, the 118th anniversary of the theft of the county records from the Daphne courthouse up. And of course they moved them up here to Baymanette. Uh, so, so we, I guess we can start there. Um, after the courthouse theft, um, I'm not going in any chronological order. I just want to hit all these. Um, so Paul, are you aware that Faulkner state, community college uh merged with several other uh of the colleges in our two-year college system a few years ago right i don't know the details but i do remember okay that. well so so the baymanette location or what used to be faulkner became the main campus for coastal alabama community college and that includes 16 different campuses spread over four different counties now when they did that, how many people do you think they hired to expand the staff in the personnel department? No idea. Well, I think it. I think the answer is zero. None. And so, and so they they went from. Well, we'll get there. So, so uh, this article, and uh, Gabe uh, Gabriel Tynes over at the Lanyap wrote this. Baldwin Lanyap. 
uh, yeah, back on September 25th. And um, it's about uh, uh, someone I know. And um, she she was the vice president for uh, personnel or human resources. Her name's Laura Burks. Have you ever met her? No, but I've read that article. Okay, so um, she was put on administrative leave about a year ago um, after an audit of her performance was done at the request of the chancellor. So he went outside of the coastal system and went to another personnel director in, an, in, an, in another school and said, hey, I want you to go over and do a performance audit of, the, of these people at Coastal. Now, so based on that audit, they put her on leave and said she wasn't doing her job, okay? Mm-hmm. They had this hearing back on, I think it was the 25th of September. At least that's when the article was written. And... um the testimony at the hearing was that Dr. Branch, who was at the time the president of Coastal, he had received an anonymous letter saying that there was corruption going on at several, not at their campus, but at several of the other campuses. Mm-hmm. Now, Dr. Branch came and testified that he appointed um, or instructed Ms. Burks and the, um, I don't know if you call them a police chief, but, you know, they have campus security or, or police or whatever. So their chief and Ms. Burks and set and tasked them with investigating this corruption. Well, they got to a certain point, and their allegation is they finally had a meeting with the chancellor, and he came down and beat his fist on the table and said, y'all need to get back to educating kids and turn this over to the proper authorities and forget all this stuff. So, so their position is the secondary school system is trying to cover up corruption, and they're and, well. And, and let me say this: um, in in Ms. Burke's, uh, not in her defense, but um, a, another factor to take into consideration. Since they put her on admin leave, guess how many people they have hired to work in the personnel department down at Coastal. Five, five, five people have taken her place. And so the performance, you just got to imagine she went from one campus with probably 40, 50 people working there to what, what did I say before? 16 campuses. And so they bring all the personnel records down there and pile them up in the hallway. Whenever she needs one, she has to go out there and rummage and get it. Anyway, it's something to think about. I've called the chancellor's office. Nobody wants to talk to me. I've called several times. Um, the funny thing is Al Thompson is the uh, chairman of the secondary education board, and he lives here in Baymanette. And I just got to tell you, I've Gary Branch was president out at Faulkner when I went there in 1992, okay? He's been around here a while. That man has credibility, and he says this is what went down. Um, I don't know why he would lie for anybody. I mean, can can you imagine why some guy with 30 years uh, in the retirement system would risk all that to perjure himself in a quasi-judicial proceeding? It doesn't sound logical. It doesn't to me either. And, of course, the, the chief of police down there is singing the same song, that, hey, we were we were looking into all this, and the chancellor said, hey, y'all, y'all need to get off this. Well, you or know. else, and so the or else has happened. Well, you know, Harry, if you raise too much else, they'll take your credentials away. 
Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> I'm not touching that one. <laughs> yeah. All right. So moving on from coastal Alabama and the present time, I want to take you back to my genteel childhood here in Baymanette, Alabama, where I grew up um, right across from the elementary school. And across the hedge uh, lived, guess who, Paul? No idea. The district attorney for Bowen County. Oh. Have you ever heard uh, about Mr. Hendricks? Uh, I can't quite remember whether I knew Mr. What year was that? That was way back. Yeah, that was, I was six, I think. That was a ways back, (laughs) That was a ways back. (laughs) Um. So, if you go to our Facebook page, we posted this a little while ago. Uh, the The citation is 607 Southern 2nd, 1254, and it's a 1992 case from the Supreme Court. And I'm just going to read you just a little bit of this because it's almost unbelievable. Uh, the plaintiff, James A. Hendricks, appeals from the trial court's order dismissing his petition to compel Governor Guy Hunt to appoint him to the office of supernumerary district attorney. So, in the state of Alabama, Paul, if you've served more than, so I can't remember how many years it is, either 20 or 25 years, um, they will make you a supernumerary district attorney, and you are available to go fill in for another district attorney, or someone can call you and ask you a question or whatever. So, we'll, we'll get to the absurdity here in just a second. The facts of this case are not in dispute. Hendricks was elected to the Office of District Attorney of Baldwin County in November 1958, and he served in that capacity until 1981. In 1981, Governor Fob James appointed Hendricks as a supernumerary district attorney for Baldwin County. On April 13, 1983, Hendricks was convicted in a federal court on marijuana conspiracy charges. and was sentenced to five years in a federal penitentiary. As a result of the conviction, Hendricks was removed from the roles of active supernumerary district attorneys. Hendricks was released on parole in November 1985, and he completed his sentence in 1988. He then petitioned the State of Alabama Pardons and Parole Board for a pardon and restoration of his civil and political rights. On April 4th, 1998, the board granted Hendricks pardon and ordered that all civil and political rights which were forfeit as a result of his conviction uh, be restored. Therefore, Hendricks petitioned the court to reinstate him as an attorney, authorize a practice law in the courts of Alabama, which was granted in 1998. So, even when you're the DA right, and you get caught... I guess distributing drugs and go to jail and go to federal prison. When you get out, they'll give you a law license back. Now I, I will say that I'm very proud of our Supreme court because they didn't buy the argument. Uh, uh, we find no merit to Hendricks argument was the, the summation, regardless of which governor grants the commission Hendricks seeks an appointment to the same office. He forfeited pursuant to section 3692. We affirm with the judgment uh, in, in favor of governor hunt. <clears throat> so that was my next door neighbor who was the district attorney when I was six years old. Mm-hmm. So when people think public corruption happens in New Jersey or Illinois or New York or whatever, I'm here to tell you it happens here all the time. And it happened 
over the damn hedge from my house when I was a kid. And people need to understand that this public corruption, corruption by public officials that are elected to office or, or holding these positions, judges or whatnot, that corruption's a silent tax. If you think you don't feel it, you don't see it, you don't get an invoice for it, but trust me, you are paying millions of dollars in unnecessary money that's wrapped up in corruption, uh, and you're paying for it. So last year, um, one of the candidates for probate judge here in Baldwin County, Correct. Representative Randy Davis, was indicted for, I believe it was conspiracy to defraud the federal government. Wasn't it some kind of scheme with a health insurance company? Like, like a Ponzi thing, I think. Well, I think it involved them doing something for somebody, and they were going to get some stock in the in the healthcare company. You scratch my back, went. I scratch your back. And then, of course, let's not forget that Governor Bentley, who uh, was removed from office for corruption, for lack of a better word. Right. And then uh, Mike Hubbard. He was convicted in 2016. And has and yet has, to serve a day. Has yet to serve a day. As of September 2019, last time I looked, unless right. he went to jail today, he's not in there as far as I know. Um, now, we have not had a conviction in Baldwin County of an elected official that I know of since I believe it was 03, the mayor of Orange Beach, um, I, I, I can't remember his name right now. Steve Russo. Steve Russo, right. So here's another hilarity. Remember this case? The straw man. The straw man. Right. Guess who went to federal prison with uh, Russo? Who? One of the attorneys representing one of the, I'm not going to say his name, but y'all can dang sure go look it up. And he dang sure went to federal prison and he dang sure got his law license back when he got out. And he's practicing law, sitting in this courtroom, representing these guys. Yeah. A few weeks ago. Um, all right, Nick, are we ready to play the video? So this is. Let, let me say oh, one other. Okay, let, go ahead. Let me say one other thing. Uh, on, the, on the Fairhope issue. You know, this this land that they're trying to buy for the recreational uh, property, I would like to encourage people, you can go on the website there for the city of Fairhope. You go back to the meeting on May 29th, city council meeting. Watch that first hour. You know, I hear a lot of criticism that, oh, it's the mayor. Oh, it's the council. I'm telling you, it is the council. Listen to that first hour. Listen to how the mayor is fighting for the citizens. She's outlining, well, first of all, it was a conservation easement where they tried to give away $20 million worth of land, but we got that shut down because many lawyers told them it was illegal. But, I mean, still, now we're buying this $2.6 million, and she has really stood up for the citizens in the community. She has tried to bring this to their attention, and... They just keep the council, Brown, Boone, Brown, and Burrell, just keep bullying it through. So go back and watch it and educate yourself. Now, you don't have to believe me on what I'm saying. Look at the look at the true meeting. So last year, on the heels of one of his co-members of the Baldwin County legislative delegation being indicted, okay, mm -hmm. Senator Greg Albritton proposed a bill, a new ethics bill. Yeah. 
and the folks oh, yeah. <laughs> at the folks over at al.com and reckon have created a little video and of course this did not pass and and i want to give uh cam ward and the senate judiciary committee a plug because i'm pretty sure this thing died in that committee um so so if you're ready over there nick yep. cue it up pay and attention let's, let's to go, this go for it alabama is known for lots of things crimson tide football now auburn basketball Unresolved conflicts with the rest of America, lane cake, hookworm, you know what, maybe we should have stopped the sports. But today I want to talk about one of our signature accomplishments, leading the nation in political corruption. Each year, Alabama competes with the likes of Illinois and Louisiana for a national title that nobody wants. Heck, just a year ago, the heads of all three branches of our government held those jobs because their predecessors had been kicked out. But a group of Alabama centers has a plan to fix Alabama's corruption problem by making ethics crimes legal again. Legalization. It's not just for potheads anymore. Currently, any gift from a lobbyist to a lawmaker worth more than $25 is a crime, but under a bill introduced by State Senator Greg Albritton, that limit would be gone. Free meals? Dig in. Sports tickets? Have a good time. Family vacations? What's a little trip to the happiest place on earth between friends? If SB 230 passes, it would all be legal as long as the lobbyists bearing those gifts reported them to whatever is left of the Alabama Ethics Commission. Because you don't have to break the law when you make the law. But that's not all. This bill redefines outright bribery. The quid pro quo, the this for that, as long as a bribe is less than $6,000, it would be a misdemeanor now, not a felony. Stealing from the government, as long as it's less than $6,000, that would be a misdemeanor too for a government employee. But for you and me, it would still be a Class B felony, punishable by up to 20 years in prison. And it doesn't stop there. In Alabama politics, we hear a lot about family, but this bill has a different sort of family values in mind. Under Alabama's ethics law right now, it's illegal to enrich your mom, your dad, your siblings, even your brother-in-law. The next three branches of your family tree are pretty much off limits. But All Britain's bill would narrow that definition to a public official's spouse and dependent children. When you're 18, you might be out the door, but mom and dad can still give you a state contract to make your landing just a little bit more comfortable. In Alabama today, the Ethics Commission and the Attorney General's Office are supposed to police and prosecute public corruption. Under All Britain's Ethics Bill, district attorneys would have to investigate public corruption. These investigations can take years, and a big one, and I'm looking at you, Mike Hubbard, can cost millions of dollars. And district attorneys just don't have the resources to prosecute that. They have to spend their time chasing murderers and rapists and criminals, you know, who can't put up a fight in court. A lot of goofy bills get introduced every year in the Alabama legislature, usually by some chucklehead or another who wants to make guns the state bird or replace Common Core with the Ten Commandments. But this bill is not just from some kook. Rather, the head of the Senate, Del Marsh, is a co-sponsor. It has real support from the sorts of people who get bills through the legislative process and into law not goofballs who wage symbolic battles to make their constituents giddy. This is serious stuff. The Alabama Ethics Commission opposes this bill. The Alabama Attorney General does too. 
And if you care about ending public corruption in this state, let your state lawmaker know that you are against it too. For Reckon, I'm Kyle Whitmire. Thanks for watching. If you like these videos, follow ReckonByAL.com on Facebook. All right, so uh, let's hope the All Britain bill is dead and it never rears its ugly head again. So, have you ever considered that that if you stole six thousand dollars from the state of Alabama, you'd go to prison for twenty years? Right. But if Greg did it, right, and Mike Hubbard, Mike Hubbard, nothing has happened, and uh, uh, well, I'll stop there, but. <laughs> Uh, I will, you know, the more development, the more building, the more money, the more pressure on a municipality, the more corruption, the more silent tax you're getting hit with. So, um, Paul, did you have anything else you'd want to talk about? No, I just would like to encourage people to, you know, uh, sign up to the, for the Facebook and the podcast on Backstory Podcast, uh, also on the RIP Report. Like I said, this is consumer-related. Uh, we're trying to inform the public the best we can about things that are going on that should not be going on and draw attention to it. But without you doing anything, uh, everything we do is moot, so... Please cooperate. And as promised, we are leaving you with uh, excerpts from the Red Wedding Commission meeting where they fired all my friends and and cut all the... Uh, now, I, one of the things I want everybody to pay attention to, they fire, and, and I, I don't think we actually watched this part, but when they initially get in there, they pass a resolution and just fire everybody. And, um, and, and one of the points that... Uh, that Commissioner Dorsey makes is that we don't need to be in the legal business, and by getting rid of these full-time attorneys, we're going to save all this money. Right. So how much money do you think they spent on legal fees since 2010? Uh, I'd be scared to guess. $3.9 million. In Baymanette. Well, in for, for the county. For the county. Just to that one particular law firm. Now, they have an open checkbook. You can go to bonecountyal.com right. or .gov mm-hmm. and uh, just do a search. Okay, and now this this meeting is the... Uh, this uh, is the organizational meeting correct. of the Bowen County Commission back in 2010. Right, and this was... This is the drinking game. Correct. This was, this was, uh, this was an article that I believe Connie Baggett co- covered at the time. She did cover it. And uh, what I'd like to point out to everybody uh, is that they made this decision after they were elected, but not quite in office, but they met. So then they went into this meeting and made these decisions that they actually had got together with Watch, before, watch Skip Gruber flip his lid. Right. Well, before because, they before they were uh, officially in, but they still were not supposed to do this. So if you look at it that way, then all of the firings and everything that happened since then was actually done on an, an Ill, uh, illegally. Well, Paul, what you don't understand about the open meetings law is it's like a five dollar misdemeanor fine and you can mail it in right right. it's the it's the biggest 
non-law that there is. So what you're saying is that they paid the five dollars beforehand. I don't think it. Well, they they claim that here. Here's what's funny, and when you watch the video, uh, Gruber says, "Well, it sounds to me like you boys might have got together ahead of time and made some decisions without me." And they said, "Well." We called the Attorney General and the Association of County Commissioners or whatever. If I get permission from the Association of County Commissions, I did do an inquiry with them, and they sent me an email back. And if they say it's okay, I'm going to put it up on our Facebook page. That is not what the law says, and that is not what anybody at the association would have told them. Well, one good thing about listening to this is that uh, Mr. Dorsey is no longer with us. As far and this as is what office. everybody forgets about. When they're talking to me, they're talking to a guy that spent 15 years in the damn salt mines and county government. Right. I know every, I know people all over the state in all facets of, of well, regulatory agencies, you name it. Um, and so when you try to snow me, that, that's just a bad thing to do. Um, so anyway... Thanks everybody for watching. We're gonna we're gonna ex, uh, do an exit and uh, let y'all watch this. And I hope you enjoy it. And if you have a beer, try to keep up. If every time you hear something that you think's BS, take a drink, but don't yep. drive afterwards because you won't be able to. Right. This is podcast six. We podcast six. Hope you catch us on the next one. Thank you much for listening. Legal department. If you take it across the board. What the whole legal department cost us, it cost us about $85 an hour. We're fixing to enter a contract for $225 an hour. Where is the cost savings? These are the issues that have not been brought to open discussion with this commission. And for us to set up here today and make this decision, I think is very wrong. And if we're going to do this today, I'd like to also add some more uh, positions to this that I think that we can do without also. So um, with that being said, uh, I'll listen to what the rest of the commissioners have to say. Thank you, Commissioner Gruber. <coughs> Mr. Chairman. Commissioners, Commissioner Dorsey. Yes, sir. Uh, a little bit of a contradiction in uh, statements there that we've not uh, had time to deal with these people and meet these people and talk to these people, yet we've treated them poorly, which I think is, I find offensive and I take personally. These, uh, these RIF, op, uh, this resolution is based on four months of uh, being involved in each of the commission meetings, each of the workshop sessions, the budget meetings, meeting with each of the department heads, uh, meeting with employees around the county. Some of these departments are at 2006 staffing levels and we are significantly less in work in workload required for, for this current economy. We're looking forward to an economy next year that's gonna be, that our budget is gonna be reduced next year from this year. And we have to make preparations today to do that. Our legal department is employed full time and I don't believe that we need to, uh, need to have, an, have legal staff on, it's $85 an hour, yes, if you break down full time, 40 hours a week, 52 weeks a year. I don't believe that we need to have uh, legal services throughout every single day of the year. Uh, the estimate that, uh, in savings that we'll have just in the legal department alone is $300,000. That's significant money to Baldwin County today. Uh, that's all, Mr. Chairman. The only comment I'd like to say is I, I ran to bring more efficient government to Baldwin County. I think the voters spoke. My supporters and, and people that encouraged me to run believes that we need a more efficient government, a government that works for the people of this county. 
I'd like to send a message to the county employees, understand that the citizens are our ultimate bosses, that we have to do our jobs well, we have to be cost effective, but we also have to give the resources to the people out in the field to be able to get their jobs done so they can be efficient. We've got to make some tough decisions today to get those resources. County Commissioner, one of their main responsibilities are roads, bridges, and drainage. Just a few, but if you ever pick up the manual of the County Commissioner, that's one of their leading things. There's tough decisions that have to be made in this county to make sure that we stay financially sound, but we still have responsibilities that we need to meet. We need to support the Sheriff's Department for public safety. And we have to build trust that the tax dollars are being spent well because of the issues that we are sister governmenting bodies like the Board of Education. They're in a financial uh, tough time too. So we have to be responsible to the citizens that we're spending our money well. And this is part of the action. It's not whether these people are good or bad or their personalities. It's just a business decision that we have to make as a commission. Thank you. Other comments? Oh. Well, what I was asking is, is am I going to be allowed to, uh, being that these were brought up by the ones, is am I going to be allowed to make some suggestions also? Well, motions on the floor. If you have an amendment I you'd do. like to I'd offer, I'd like to amend it to <laughs> also include position number four one five, which is the county administrator, which has a salary of eighty five thousand dollars a year, and that will go very well towards helping with paving some roads. Say again, the position you want of, of assistant county administrator. Is that a motion? That's a motion. Okay, we have a motion on the floor to abolish or rip the assistant county administrator. Do I have a second? That being no second, then uh, back to the main motion. Uh, that motion failed. Uh, I guess we can call for the question now. I will only add to this that, you know, these two gentlemen ran as others did for this office just like we all did. And, um, and they listened to the people. They certainly circulated the county. I know they visited every building we have in the county and visited with the employees. And they listened to the people. And, and I really believe they are bringing what they understood was their mandate when they got elected. And I'm supportive of that. I told them at the time I would be supportive of those recommendations they came forward with if I could be of support. Some things I couldn't. But, uh, what we have before here certainly seems reasonable. It's not the, the last of it, but it's just the beginning in my understanding. And it, during these economic times we're in, I think the nation, the state, and this county needs to address issues such as this. Government has just expanded too far, too much, and too many people's lives, and we're trying to bring it back into a smaller, more efficient government. Okay, all those in uh, favor of the motion say aye. 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 Opposed? Nay. Motion carries three to one with Commissioner uh, Gruber voting no. Uh, next. Uh, Mr. Chairman, Commissioner's next Mr. item for you, item IA3. Pardon me. Mr. Chairman, may I, would the chairman allow me to make a comment? Okay, it's after this motion has taken yeah. place. Yes, yes, sir. 
Yes, sir. Sir, it, it, uh, it may be my last opportunity. No, sir, I, did, I looked for you and didn't see you. I didn't know you weren't who you were. My, my apologies. Okay. Uh, Maybe my last opportunity to address the commission. So, um, I wanted to say as a sort of a semi-parting comment, and uh, that the citizens, of, I mean, these are the employees of this county are, are good people, and you know that, and you know that as well as I do. And the uh, um, I'd like to say that hopefully, in some way, I've left some sort of positive impact and uh, you know my final statement would be to hopefully that uh, God will bless them and uh, of course anything that you do in the future may 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 be God's will and maybe each decision that you make be may be blessed thank you Scott thank you so much Mr. Chairman, Commissioners, next item before you, item IA3, you will see a replacement item as a paper packet in your paper packet before you. Considerations related to uh, counsel for the Baldwin County Commission. The recommendation before you, Commissioners, is authorized at Section 6 of Act Number 239-1931 as amended. Approve the execution of a contract for services between the Baldwin County Commission and Blackburn and Connor PC applicable to the Baldwin County Commission's appointment, designation of counsel for the Baldwin County Commission, which position shall be styled as the Baldwin County Attorney. Okay. We have the recommendation before you. Uh, Mr. Chairman, I would move that we um, uh, approve a contract of services with the Baldwin County Commission and Blackburn and Con Connor as the uh, uh, I three sta uh, states. I have a motion. I'll second that motion. Second, Commissioner. Oh. Any other? Yes, sir. Uh, I as talk continued discussion of the uh, riff of the legal department. I don't think that the Baldwin County needs to be in the legal business. I've uh, known Mr. Connor, and Mr. Blackburn for years and years. They're some of the top uh, attorneys in this county, and I think Baldwin County be well served to have them on our team. Comment? Yeah, Mr. Chairman, I'll, Commissioner I've got, Gruber, a, yes. I've got a, a question. Um, I understand, I do know that uh, there are some pending cases against the county that uh, this firm is has against the county right now on a couple of issues with some zoning stuff. And how are they going to be able to serve us and their clients also? Well, that that's... It's, it's, a it's, it's a of conflict of, uh, be a conflict of interest, and I just want to know how they're going to handle that. Only they can answer that, but they couldn't ethically do a lot of these things that you brought up, so I guess they can answer that once they're appointed. We've had other county attorneys. Mr. Red Wilkins was county attorney. Sometimes he'd have a conflict. Uh, Mr. Wills, Bob Wills was county attorney. Sometimes their firm had a conflict with the county's interest and they just recuse themselves and you uh, have another attorney act in their stead. But, well, how, uh, but that's if we're it. hiring the firm, because we're hiring the firm, we're not hiring just the attorney, we're hiring the whole firm, how can that firm represent the county if it's got other stuff going? Plus, uh, if they excuse themselves from our contract, who's going to, um, who are we going to rely on then? That'd be something they'd have to answer, Commissioner. Well, no, that's that's something we need to answer. That's something we need to decide if we're going to have an attorney that is going to be uh, representing us in the in the future. Um, 
and he's got a conflict of interest with us, how can he serve these, the, this commission? Mr. Chairman, commissioners, um, with your permission, I believe that uh, Blackburn and Connor have already had discussions with the Alabama State Bar. That has um, given them guidance on the matter. And um, also, I believe they're going to prepare for a process for when the situation with which Commissioner Gruber brings up will be handled uh, in an effort to these interests. They will retain counsel, um, which will uh, serve in their stead, I believe. It seems to me, Mr. Chairman, that this is another thing that was decided on by this body uh, without me having any input whatsoever <coughs> into it. Uh, and whether y'all want to accept it or not, the, the, the citizens of this county also voted me to represent them. And if this is, you know, the way we're going to continue to have stuff bring forward of not knowing and meeting with, and so we can bring this out in open, this is not, this is not county government at its best. I am and I am disappointed that um, this, like this, like I say, this is the agenda should have never came here today. We should have had a discussion, but uh, I know without coming, this is going to be already. So with that, you know, I'm a, I will not relay uh, it any longer. Okay, but uh, as far as anything, discussions taking place. Uh, before these two gentlemen took office this morning, or I did as well. You know, after an election, you have a transition time. That happens right now. Governor Bentley, Governor-elect Bentley, is meeting with his transition team all over the state and deciding who will serve in what office. He may announce those before he's actually sworn in. But uh, this is perfectly legal. We was checked with the Attorney General's office, checked legally to be certain that we were all right. I talked to Sonny Brassfield with the Association of County Commissioners with their lawyer, Mary Pons. All of this was perfectly in order. There's nothing conducted that was uh, in violation of the Open Meetings Act. And I hope what will begin today, we got a lot of applause for this not the way government's supposed to operate. We, we've operated in the past, but that is the past. We're on a new path here today, and yeah, so you can take your seat back again. I'm not going to recognize you. Oh, you, won't, you won't allow me to speak on this If you'll sit back down, issue? please, so that gentleman will remove you. If you, you don't, won't allow me to speak. would you remove him? No, sir. Okay, thank you. Uh, okay. But what this is the beginning of is op more open government. Okay, this is the beginning of a more open government, and if you want to watch it function, you're present in here, and we welcome you here. Your comments and your laughter and your interrupting the meeting is not allowed and won't be allowed. And I thank you for that. All those in favor of this motion, they be known by saying aye. 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 Mr. Chairman, Commissioners, at this yes, time. Opposed? I do. You're mighty weak with it. All the, all the mics are off. But uh, opposed? Nay. 
Okay, we have three in favor of the motion. One no. Commissioner Gruber, motion passes. So, are there any comments before we recess? We will recess after this meeting for about 30 minutes to allow things to settle in, and uh, hopefully we can get some order to this. And now, if you're going to continue with the outburst, we don't need that here this morning. That may be the way you've conducted business in the past, but hopefully we'll be respectful to one another and we'll act accordingly. I appreciate that. Did you have a comment? No, sir. Okay. This uh, commission is in recess for 30 minutes.